Welcome to another edition of Inside Analysis. In this edition, we're looking at the parallels and lessons from the growth of passive investing for the likely growth of robo or digitally based advice, which has the potential to fill a major void in Australia and other markets too, of course. That void is the very large number of people who would like financial advice, but don't access it because of either cost or negative views about the advice industry. With me today is Graham Brandt, who is responsible for the strategic partnerships of Quantafeed in Australia and New Zealand. By way of background or context to this discussion, in 2019, a milestone was passed in the active versus passive funds management narrative. The funds under management of passive or index funds in the US, that's mutual funds and ETFs, exceeded for the first time the funds under management for actively managed funds. Quite a milestone. Graham, welcome. First up, can you see the day when robo or digital wealth advice becomes as accepted as traditional face-to-face human advice? Oh, absolutely, yes. The the only question is when, and uh, thanks for having me on, Peter. I don't think it's going to take 45 years like it did for index funds, um, which, and you have to remember, they did start very, very slowly. And it's also important to remember that the majority of Australians can't afford face-to-face human advice. Digital wealth can provide a solution to the roughly 80% of Australians who currently don't receive any investment advice. Many of the factors that have driven the development and the growth of index funds or or passive investment are also driving the growth of robo-advice. And key amongst those uh, is technology. Um, It made the efficient construction of portfolios that were mimicking or tracking an index, uh, they made that possible, allowing index fund managers to charge very low fees compared to the typical fees charged by active managers. And technology is making the mass customization of advice possible. The digitally delivered wealth management is both cost efficient and it's hugely scalable. As an example, Quantafeed has worked with DBS Bank in Singapore to provide a digital wealth platform to their 5.2 million retail banking customers. Each DBS customer is able to customize their investment to suit their risk appetite and their investment interests. The cost of this service is just 75 basis points. Oh, that's cheap. Absolutely. And interestingly, the DBS retail customers are buying portfolios of ETFs, which is helping keep the total cost very, very low. Now, investors are also demanding lower costs, and you know we saw that uh, with the growth of passive investing, where the index-hugging managers, you know, who were charging fairly high fees but underperforming the index, really were were out of favour when an alternative came along, which was very low cost, and that was really one of the key drivers of the growth of, of passive investing. And you know, today every service industry is under pressure to reduce fees, and clearly the wealth industry is, is no different. The majority of Australians can't afford the high fees associated with personal advice, and given its complex nature and the compliance requirements, personal advice is always going to be at a premium price. A low-cost wealth management solution is required for the majority of these Australians. And another important fee-related issue is investors want to be sure they're getting value for money. And this certainly came through in the, in the Banking Royal Commission. And it's especially the case where fees will continue to be very much in the spotlight. And then finally, sort of the key drivers, is the ability to segment a product or a service. And index funds do that. You know, they're, they're, they're a very low investment alternative. 
And of course, there's still active managers out there, and they're offering particular strategies or bringing specific expertise, and they're charging higher fees for that service. And similar segmentation is is now possible in wealth management. So for investors that are seeking a low-touch service uh, at at a lower price point, then digital can provide that solution. But of course, there's always going to be investors you know, who require a more personal or holistic service, which involves interactions with the humans, and that's exactly what financial advisors do. But of course, that higher level of service comes at a much higher cost. So cost is number one. What about behavioural issues? Are people reticent to, to go down a path that's technology-based, or have we that Rubicon, is that oh, not an I, issue I, now? I think there's a lot of behavioural issues which you know, will drive the growth of robo and, and key amongst those is convenience. We live in a mobile first society now. If you can schedule your Uber or book a hotel on your mobile phone, then there's an expectation that you can manage your wealth on your mobile device as well. But that's certainly relevant for the younger people, but for the older people, which is the group or cohort looking for financial advice in the first instance, is that relevant as well to the people over 45, say? Yeah, no, we think it is. And uh, certainly our experience across the region, you know, it's not just a younger cohort that is engaging. It's, it's something which is wanted right across the board. We're also seeing that with our customers who are commercial banks, they have platforms that are mobile first, and that's being used across the spectrum of their customers. Across the age spectrum. Absolutely. Okay, well, that's yeah. interesting. Yeah, And then another, uh, I guess, behavioural sort of factor is everyone is so time poor. What they want is simple ways of achieving, getting tasks done. They want wealth management to be able to be completed in, in minutes and not hours. Right across the board, we're seeing one of the key drivers is to make a, a very simple and intuitive user journey that anyone, particularly someone who doesn't have a high degree of financial literacy, they can understand and they can follow and they can engage with. And then I guess the last point is transparency. And this goes back to the Banking Royal Commission. There is a real driver now for transparency, particularly with respect to fees that are being paid. I think any wealth offering really has to be fully transparent on the fee front. And we're able to do that with digital. It's very clear where so you're the commission cost. potentially has been good for your business? Well, I think it's, uh, it's shaken up the wealth market here in Australia quite significantly. I think we're still in the, in the throes of working through that. But I think at the end of that process, I think it will be very positive for providers like Quantafeed of B2B digital wealth services. What are the roadblocks, the major roadblocks for the transference to digital advice or robo-advice? How can they be overcome or will they be overcome? Is it simply a matter of time? What's your view on that? Well, I, I, I certainly agree there's going to be growth. The, the question is just at what rate? And it's a very, very big wealth market here. Yeah, you're right. The implementation has been very slow. It's um, been quicker in other jurisdictions, hasn't it? It has. And, and I guess important to recognise that many of those uh, other markets, particularly where we are operating, it's not such a mature wealth market with growing mass affluent populations in some many Asian countries. It's the first opportunity that many people have had for wealth management services. Whereas here in Australia, obviously, everyone works is contributing to superannuation, which is one of the key financial assets that everyone is, is, housing is looking to grow. The, uh, housing, the cost of housing in Australia is very high compared to some jurisdictions as well. People tell me that's another roadblock to 
just wealth advice anywhere because people haven't got the money to save. Yeah, absolutely. And also, you know, the Banking Royal Commission, uh, the impact can't be underestimated where many, many people are a little bit guarded about wealth management in general and new ways of doing it in, in particular. And so we see the, the whole wealth advice industry has been in, a, in quite a state of transition. We're not quite sure when we're going to get to the end of this, but clearly a lot has happened since the Banking Royal Commission and we see that that will lead to growth in, in digital wealth in advice. In your discussions with potential clients for your product and your wealth management platform, do your potential clients agree with you on the philosophy that we're in transition? Is that widely, oh, I widely think, agreed? Yeah, I, I think it's hard to go and have a, uh, a meeting with a prospect without talking about how their business is changing, how the personnel's changing, uh, how the structure's Not changing. Just the, the, well, we know their shareholders are changing as yeah. the banks get out, yeah. but, but, it, yeah, but many, it's more than that. Presumably. Yeah, many many businesses are growing rapidly as a, as a consequence. A good example of that is the advisors that have left the large financial institutions and to going to some of the smaller ones. And so we've got businesses in a rapid state of growth and we've also got the large financial institutions trying to either close down or sell off their wealth arms, really trying to get the fit right with their business and some are doing it quite rapidly and others are taking quite a time to do that. Getting back to the active and passive discussion, ETFs form the foundation of most robo or digital wealth platform portfolios, was my understanding. Is there a bias towards passive management when one uses a, a robo-solution? I'm sure you've heard that saying, you know, passive is massive, and there is a lot of passive investment used in robo. The key reason to keep the total costs very, very low. That's not uh, to say that there's plenty of active ETFs as well, not nearly as many. Not but nearly as many, and in our experience, we've seen a lot of passive ETFs being used, but that's not exclusively ETFs. Many of our clients are actually using actively managed unlisted funds in their robo-offerings. That's interesting because I don't think there's a widespread appreciation of that, is there? No, and also where we have clients offering thematic investments, they're actually offering portfolios of listed shares. A good example of it is, say, a portfolio exposed to self-driving cars. You have to be owning the underlying shares because there's not yet ETFs that are developed for that particular investment theme. And so, yeah, passive ETFs are extensively used and the big attraction is the low cost. But not exclusively. Not exclusively. Is it fair to say that there is a massive gap? Well, I think you've already alluded that in Australia in terms of the wealth market. Can robo-advice fill that gap? I think it's important to firstly acknowledge that wealth in Australia is, is very complex. There is always going to be people needing to seek personal advice because their affairs are very complicated and they need an interaction with a a human advisor in order to do that. That's assuming they can afford it, of course. But equally, there's a large sector of the population, and really the majority, who don't have complex needs, but they do require access to some low-cost, convenient service to assist them in their wealth management. And a great example is the thousands of people that are running their own self-managed super fund. In the past, they've been reliant on high dividends and high interest rates from term deposits to provide a steady source of income. Now, because of what we've seen with interest rates coming right down and the lack of growth or the cutting of dividends and, and banks wide, and Telstra... acceptance that it's a lower for longer environment. Absolutely. They actually need some assistance to transition from their, some of their existing investments into suitable portfolios 
that can fill this void. And they don't want to pay a lot for it. Many of them don't want to pay for a financial advisor to help them with that. So they need some convenient platform or system in order to help them just really change their portfolio for the changing times. Once a major financial institution here in Australia begins offering robo or digital uh, advice... Really, there, there isn't one major one yet, is there? Not yet, no. And I think when one does, and that's going to be great news for the, the average the Aussie investor. Quickly. Certainly always that, the, the herd mentality. But uh, I think we agree that there is a, a real void in the market for an offering which is simple, it's transparent, and it's really the way that many people will be wanting to invest in the future. To summarise, is it a question of when, not if, for robo-slash-digital advice platforms in Australia? I'll certainly look, you know, many of the same factors that have driven the growth of index investing, the lower costs, the simplicity the rise of tech, they are going to drive the the growth of of robo. What what sort of time frame are we talking? Do you think within five years the industry will be, uh, the wealth advice industry will be, the face of it will be changed because of a a large player introducing robo or we've got longer to wait or could it be 18 months? Well, I, I think within the span of five years, the wealth market in Australia is going to change dramatically irrespective of whether robo's in the the mix or not. Our view is that robo will be in the mix because there is so much need which is currently not being met and robo can meet that. The exact timing is really hard to say but I think once we continue to sort of work through the outcomes of the Banking Royal Commission then it gives financial institutions the opportunity to start looking strategically and think about what their businesses should look like for the next five or ten years. Thanks for talking to us today Graham. Absolute pleasure, thanks Peter.